We're back in First Peter, and Lord willing, we will finish that up today. So we're in chapter 5, as we started the last time I was here, or last time I spoke. If you want to turn there. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you, God, um, for this morning. Lord, for your blessings, um, as we've just studied recently about worship, Lord, and how you have taught me how broad that is and how that just how worthy you are and as we look to you that we can see how much more worthy you are and as we look to you we can see this passage and Peter God how how much easier it is to be humble when we're studying you how much easier it is to be humble when we see your greatness how much easier it is to not have worry in our lives when we're understanding who you are, Father. I just pray that that's what we do today. That's what this scripture does for us. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive that. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so the first part of chapter 5, the last time, we talked a lot about pride and how it masks itself in many ways. Um, if you remember the lack of self-esteem, kind of a hidden actual pride. The overzealous leaders is a result of pride. Fear of man is actually a result of pride. It, it, so it's a disguise that I think pride puts on, like, well, I don't have any self-esteem. And it looks like, well, the truth is, you, we just, it, it's, a, it's a hidden agenda of, Everybody else doesn't see me as good as I see myself. And so, as we go on now, if, if you look at verse 6, Peter says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourselves. At the end, at the end of verse five, he says, "Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Because of this, humble yourselves." So, what does it mean to humble yourself under God? It's to quietly submit to His will. It's to patiently bear every affliction without complaining or replying against him. Randy was talking this morning some about complaining. And I thought as I was studying this and as he was talking, I was, I was convicted because I catch myself complaining about my circumstances. When we do that, when we complain about the circumstances we're in, whether it's dealing with a church issue, whether it's dealing with a job, whether it's dealing with family, when we, when we complain about that, it's the opposite of worship. It's, it's denying God's sovereignty in our life. 
Now, does that mean we accept everything we can? We don't try to change our situation? No, that's not what it means. But what good, I, I was thinking about this when he was talking, I thought, what good does it do when I complain? If it is not making any steps to fix anything, to better anything, to restore my relationship with God, to restore my relationship with family, what is the point of doing it? It's all it is is pride. It's saying, everybody look at me and how bad my situation is. You should all be feeling sorry for me. I'm in this terrible job. I'm in this terrible relationship. That's all it is. It's pride. It's, it's esteeming myself higher than I ought to be esteemed. So to, to be humble under the mighty hand of God it's to quietly accept his will. And Randy talked this morning about instead of those times in complaining, how much different would we live? How much difference would our life, how much different would it look if that time we spent complaining, we spent praying? Because as I, as I get older and as I, I study more, as I understand, I think God more, his sovereignty more, the more I realize prayer is not so much to change my situation, but to change my heart. And so when I pray about this situation, he's probably not going to say, oh, okay, well, since now you're praying, I'm going to give you a better job and give you a better house. And No, what he's going to do is he's going to, through that prayer, he's going to conform my will to his. And I'll start being content with my job, with my situation at church with my house, with my car. I'm complaining because my car breaks down all the time. And he, and as I pray, he's going to say, you know what? He's going to show you that he's in control to trust him, to see the positive things in, in all of that. It's also to, to humble ourselves under the mighty hands of God is to not despise the correction or chastity chastening of the Lord. That's a hard one because nobody likes it when we're corrected. Sometimes that correction comes through the reading of the Scripture. Sometimes it comes through that prayer that I was talking about. We can be praying and we can be complaining to God and He's going to say no. And He's going to chastise us that way. Sometimes it can come through other brothers and sisters in Christ. They can come and correct us. And nobody likes it when that happens. Not at the time, but hopefully, if you're in Christ, at some point, you're very thankful for that because that God has used that person to bring you back. But it's not to, it, to humble ourselves is to not despise that no matter what, how it comes. It's to mourn over sin. And it's to stand in awe of His majesty. What does it mean to be under the mighty hand of God? Just think about that terminology. It is madness. It is really madness to oppose his mighty will. I mean, he's, I think probably everybody in here would agree that he is all-powerful, omnipotent. He's got the whole world in his hands, literally. He has it all under his control, and he can tell the oceans to come and they obey. 
He's the one that told the mountains to rise up and the valleys to be set low. He is in full control, and yet somehow we're going to try to oppose it. It's not very smart, but we do it. We do it. Why? Because just like Randy talked, it's our heart. It's our heart issue. But Peter's saying here to, to, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, it's to stop opposing his will. Stop complaining about God's mighty hand and be still in quiet submission to his plan. But think about being under the hand of God. If you are under chastisement, if you are in sin, God, but you belong to Christ, being under his hand is not a comfortable place to be. Think about, think about when you were a child. When you were in trouble, your father or your grandfather or whoever it was who was the disciplinarian under their hand wasn't the most comfortable place to be at that time right well this is the perfect father this is god almighty when we are in sin being under his hand is going to be uncomfortable but it's going to be for your benefit just like a child trying to their their children they'll try to scrap and run and play there's a there's a you can have a, just picture a herd of cattle out here. And, and kids love animals. Some of them would be naturally scared. Those are the easy ones. Some of them love it. They want to go pet them. These are these big, nice, oh, look, they're so cute, and they're going to run out there and pet them, right? And you tell them no, and they keep running. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to grab them and stop them, and then you're going to correct them until they learn not to do that. Well, that's the way we are under the mighty hand of God. He will not let you get too far, and he will correct you. And it's not the most comfortable place to be, but it's still safe, right? When those kids are trying to get away from you, there's no way you're going to let them run in through a herd of cows and get trampled to death. So it may hurt because you're holding on to them tight, but there's no way you're getting away, so it's the safest place, but not the most comfortable. But if you're a wicked sinner... And you don't belong to Christ. Under that same hand, it won't just be pressure. It won't just be burden. He can crush you. And that's what he'll do if you don't repent. That's what an almighty hand does. That's what an almighty hand of God does. But if you're humbled, the way Peter is talking to us here, if you humble yourself and you are in Christ, then you're safely nestled in his mighty protection. And you will be exalted. Look at the last part of that verse. So at the proper time, you may be exalted. You may be magnified. You, yourself, will be exalted. But it's at the proper time. And this is, this is so important for us to get. This is so important for Christians to get because so many of us have fallen in this area. So many men and women desire to be known of men and women. Whether it's in a secular world, whether it's in Christianity, people have a desire to be famous. People have a desire. They see somebody, and, and it's, I'm talking to Christians today. We look at people like John Piper, John MacArthur, Paul Washer, and we go, wow. It's so awesome. Those guys are on this platform. Listen, they wouldn't be on that platform except it was God's proper time to exalt 
them. It's so important to get that. We'll have a desire to have a ministry or a position or a title. Somehow, and, and the truth is, I think that men and women will somehow desire this as some kind of validation who they are in Christ. Well, if I'm a, if I'm a pastor, then that somehow makes me more in Christ. Or if I have this international ministry or if i'm a missionary if i'm in africa and and i'm and i'm planting a church there then somehow that makes me more in christ i'm telling you this no title position ministry i don't care if it's an international ministry i don't care if it's a worldwide every country in the world hears your voice none of that will validate who you are in Christ. Not at all. Only Jesus Christ can validate who you are in Him. So to stop, stop desiring those things. Stop looking for validation outside of anything outside of Christ. When we realize that, we actually find humility. When we stop looking elsewhere and we can find contentment in Christ and Him alone. It's the attitude of, Lord, no matter where you have me to serve, Ronnie talked yesterday. It was a great, great illustration. Um, a friend of his, of ours, actually, um, he went, I, I may mess this up, but he, he needed a job really bad. And it was somewhere in Texas, and there was a some kind of big facility outside of town. And a guy that worked there told him, hey, just show up. When you get in the, when you get in the, when they, when somebody's going to come to the gate, just wait outside the gate. When they, when they show up, tell them they're going to ask for a machinist, and you tell them you're a machinist. And so that's what he did. He shows up. Well, there was like a hundred people there wanting a job at this place, and they asked for a machinist, and he raised his hand. He was the only one. But the problem was he wasn't a machinist. But they take him in, and so he's just going to try to fake it. So he had two plans. He was The first plan was he was going to find this old guy there, another machinist, and t- he told him, hey, I'm not really a machinist. Am I getting this right? He told him, I'm not really a machinist, but will you, will you teach me? I want to learn. I will be your grunt guy. I'll do everything that you don't want to do so that I can learn to be a machinist. And then his other plan was, just in case that didn't work, he was going to, on breaks, anytime things were slow whatever he was going to be sweeping cleaning up organizing he was going to work constantly so if they found out he wasn't a machinist they might say well this guy's such a hard worker we'll use him somewhere else and so he he just did all the dirt work all the dirty work that nobody else wanted to do well then he the first plan worked he stayed under this guy he basically apprenticed under him under him he became a machinist he figured it out. He learned all the math, everything he needed to know. And then the time came when, hey, I'm a machinist. And what, it, and what Ronnie said was, he continued to do the work of the machinist, but you, do you know what he stopped doing? He stopped doing all the other stuff, all the dirty work. Because now he was somehow better than those guys. He forgot where he came from. 
that was the problem. He forgot that he stood outside that gate as nobody, and, by, and it was really by their grace that they let him come in, and it was by their grace that they let him continue even though he had lied to them. Well, how many times, I think, as Christians, have we forgot where we came from? How many times as Christians have we forgot we were just dirty, filthy sinners and God saved us by His grace? And it doesn't matter if He has us cleaning the floors, cleaning the toilets, or preaching to the multitudes. We're the same in Christ. And once we realize that, once we know that, once we get that, and we're content to be cleaning the sidewalk, or we're content to be cooking the food, or we're content to be standing on a corner preaching or standing on a pulpit preaching, it doesn't matter, then that's when humility has arrived. And, that's, and, that's, and then at that time, at the proper time, when Christ decides, when God decides, then God will use you in powerful ways. When I went and saw Paul Washer. I don't know how many people have listened to Paul Washer. He is a he's a large part of I mean I just through sermons of his that I've heard online and things um, he's it's it's shaped me in a in a major way God has used him in my life. Um, we went and saw him in person and and um, it, it was just really really interesting to see him and and then when Ronnie explained it afterwards Ronnie and I went together. He he described about what I felt, and it was something to, to the effect of, I have never heard somebody preach with so much authority and yet be so humble. And that's, I, I feel like that's why God, I mean, it's, it's interesting to see, I mean, you've got Paul Washer who himself will tell you a lot of the men that he knows, there's been men that have discipled him, he'll tell you that they're more godly, that they're more studied. All those things, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I know this: I know a lot of men that are that have a similar passion and a similar um, life that Paul Washer does, and yet God somehow used, for some reason, used him on this big platform. And there's other men preaching, and he he said himself, the best preacher in the world you probably never heard of. He's probably in a jungle somewhere preaching to a small tribe, and it's the truth. But yet God has given him this platform. Why? Was it because Paul Washer was so great? No. No. Has, John, has God given John MacArthur the ministry that he has because John MacArthur is so great? No. He just chose to exalt them at that time for his glory. And that's what you'll do if you have humbled yourself under the mighty hand of God when he exalts you then you will truly give all that glory back to Christ. If that's not what has happened, then it wasn't God exalting you. And let me tell you something, you do not want to be exalted by anybody other than Christ. If you build that platform yourself, if you find a way to get yourself well known, or, or well respected, and all of that, what's, what's probably going to happen? What have we seen happen with many preachers? With many men of God, in not only preachers, but in other things, music, um, 
What, what happens to them when they've built that up to themselves? It collapses. And the fall is mighty. And you don't want that. So humble. That's why Peter says, humble yourself. Look at verse 7. He says, <laughs> it's amazing because that's one verse, and then he, he's going to change. It, it's like he changes gears just a little bit, but they do go hand in hand. Humility and anxiety go together. He says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Anxiety. What a powerful, confusing emotion that we have dealt with and will continue to deal with in this life. Turn to Matthew 6, if you will. I'm going to read several verses here in Matthew 6. And just pay attention to what he says about being anxious. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or, or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not raised like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." What is the root of anxiety? Four times in that passage I just read, Jesus says, do not be anxious or do not be worried. But look at verse 30. Verse 30, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith. Faith, belief in Christ. So what is the what is the root of anxiety? It's a result of unbelief. That's what it is. It is a result of unbelief. Hebrews three, verse twelve, he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He's saying, take heed. And anxiety is part of this. Jesus made that clear. The reason they have anxiety is because they have little faith. The Hebrews, he says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. We need to guard our hearts against unbelief. And anxiety is a condition of a depraved heart. It's a condition of unbelief. It's a condition of our fallen nature. And it is sin. 
So what is our response going to be to this truth? What are we to do now? Now, if you notice back in Peter, he says to cast your anxieties on him. What it doesn't say is you're not going to experience anxiety. No. He makes it very clear that we're going to. We're going to have anxiety. We're going to have worry. We're going to have fear. But he tells us what to do with them. And it's to cast them on Jesus. Cast your cares on the Lord. So when we're dealing with this particular sin, it is not the fact that are we going to deal with this. We all deal with anxiety. Every single person on this planet deals with anxiety. Every single Christian is going to deal with this. That's why Peter says to cast it on the Lord. But it's how we deal with the anxiety that's going to make the difference in how you live your life. It's going to make the difference in how you worship. It's going to make the difference in how you evangelize. It's going to make the difference in how you just live and how if you are content in Christ. So you may think you're isolated because you have anxiety issues. You're not. Everybody has them. So you're not isolated. The truth is we all deal with it on a daily basis. But how do we deal with it? We deal with anxiety the same way we battle against unbelief. It's a war that's going on. When you are born again into Christ, you have been born into a battle zone. We don't get the luxury of having like years and years of training before the battle starts. No, you're born into the battle. You're already a soldier when you're born and the battle starts in your mind and in your heart. It's a sinful battle. You, are, you automatically start fighting against the old self, the old flesh. And anxiety is no different. Basically, all of our sin comes down to unbelief. So how do we battle against unbelief? How do you battle against believing false things? That's what unbelief is. You study the truth. You study the Scriptures. You get in the Word of God. You listen to the Word of God being taught. And you meditate on that. I wish I was here uh, Sunday. I heard that Tyler taught some on memorizing scriptures during the equipping hour. And it's important because that's how, how do you meditate on scriptures if they're not planted in your heart? So I thought, when we look at anxiety, what are the different areas of our life that we have anxiety in? I mean, let's just look at a few. How about new adventures, new ventures, business ventures, new jobs, losing a job, getting a new one? Moving to a new place. Are those things that people get worried about? Sure. So I'm just going to read a few scriptures on each one of these. Isaiah 41.10, he says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Does meditating on that verse help you deal with with unknown things that are on the other side of the wall? Sure. How about if you have a ministry, which, as we heard this morning, if you're a believer, you should have a ministry. 
Have you ever have you ever felt like you're just spinning your wheels and it's not going anywhere? You witness and nobody's being saved. You teach people and they they're not following what you teach them. Isaiah fifty five eleven. So so shall my word that goes forth from my mouth, it will not come back to me empty, but accomplish that which I purpose and prosper in the thing for which I sent it. It's going back to trust in the sovereignty of God. No matter how good your ministry is, no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you try, God is the one who's in control of how that ministry goes. And you may not see it, but He promises us that if you're teaching the Word correctly, it will not return void. What about age? Does anybody get worried about getting old? If you don't, that's just because you're not old enough yet. <laughs> At some point, things start. you start thinking about things. I'm getting to that point where it's like, wow. I mean, you, I mean we were talking this morning. It, it's just absolutely surreal to see Tyler and Kaylee with a baby. I think Kaylee was like in seventh grade when I met her. And it, did, it seems like, I mean, it doesn't seem like no time. I mean, it, and we're looking at our kids. Grace is 11 years old. I mean, she's she's going to be a grown. She's she's past halfway to being a legal adult. I mean, that that's crazy to think about how fast it's going by. Age is coming and you cannot stop it. But listen to what Isaiah said about age. He said, "Even to your old age, I am he." Actually, God said this. "Even to your old age, I am he." And to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. The scripture is sufficient to deal with our anxiety. What about dying? That's a fear that a non-believer should have. And I think it's a fear that believers will fight. The unbelief of Hey, I mean, and, and I don't think if you're a believer that you will fear what's on the other side. But the fear of death actually comes up. And if you, I mean, if you're denying that, you're probably fooling yourself. I don't, I don't fear death. I, I look forward to seeing Christ face to face. But I do think about, man, what if, what if my, my kids, my wife, you know, I, would, I, I fear what would be left behind, I guess. Well, so those things will come upon, they'll come upon us. But listen to what Paul said. He said, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Back to the sovereign God. Back to being under the hand of the mighty God. And can you trust Him? Meditate on the Scriptures. Read the Scriptures. I'm going to read one more. I thought of this one when Randy was teaching this morning. Romans chapter 13. I think this one is very fitting for our day. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. He says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for is, there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist 
are appointed by God. Has anybody experienced a little bit of anxiety over the election? I was talking to Avery yesterday. He called me, and we were just talking about, you know, the the two presidential candidates we have. I can't see a lot of good either way, to be honest. And that would be a time when we could, if, if you were a non-believer and you're living in this country and you can see the collapse coming, that would be a much reason to be anxious. But we're in Christ. We're under the mighty hand of God. And if we do it as submitting humbly under the mighty hand of God, we have nothing to fear. Why? Because he says right there, the authorities that exist are appointed by God. I saw a, a meme the other day. I don't know what that word means. but I, I saw one that said something to the fact that no matter who the president, Jesus is king. That's dead on. That's so true. It doesn't matter. Whoever wins the election, he has appointed that for a purpose. And it's going to be for his glory. And that we are under him. And that we know him should supersede all anxiety. But to, you have to read the scriptures to know that. You have to meditate on that truth to know that. So anxiety is part of the battle that we enter into when we're born, when we're born again. He just says simply, cast it on the Lord. John Piper said this. He said, take up the battle or take up the word of the Lord in the battle and fight on. You remember in Ephesians, the only offensive weapon that he gave, everything was for defense except for the word of the Lord, which was the sword. Right? That's our weapon. And in that battle, listen to Proverbs twenty-one thirty-one. He says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. That should help us with our worries. That should help us fight against unbelief. That should help us fight against... And, and so many times, the worst anxiety comes over things that we cannot control. And that's where prayer, just like I talked about trying to be humble, when we humble ourselves, and it's really God changing our heart, those worries... How many times have you worried about things for days before you prayed about it? And then finally you go to Christ in prayer. You go to the Lord in prayer and He eases your heart. Or how many times have you worried about things for days before you search the Scriptures? And then you finally search the Scriptures and you find a, a verse or two verses or a chapter that addresses your exact worry and He calms your heart. He will do it. And, and, and then you put those two things together and you'll find yourself content and comfortable in Christ. And then he goes on in verse 8, back in Peter. Chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, lion seeking someone to devour. Do we need this in this day and age? to be sober-minded. We're living in a time when men are, are goofy acting. 
And women don't seem to get serious about things. And as Christians, we need to be setting an example. Of, now, I'm not against fun. Anybody who knows me, I think, knows that. I like to have a good time. But there's a time and a place for that, and there's a time when we must be sober-minded and we have to get serious about something. And that's why it's so frustrating for me to go into a bookstore and see a 40-year-old man standing over there reading the cheat codes of a video game. It's like, it's become more than just playing a game with your kids if you're 40 and you're reading the cheat codes, you know? But you walk over to the religious section, the Christian section, and there's nobody there, you know? Or you walk over even into serious things like, you know, how to plant a garden. And there's nobody there, but they're all... And the, the section on the video games is two shelves long, and the, and the Bible section is this big, right? You notice that? Which, actually, even worse, all the bookstores are closing down. Why? Because nobody reads books anymore. We're living in... It's just a culture thing where nobody is... It's, it's like frowned upon to be intellectual... It's frowned upon to be intelligent. Read books, you're a dork, right? That's the way it is. That's what they think. That's what's being taught. Peter's saying, be sober-minded. Be serious. Why? Be watchful. Why? Because your adversary is looking for you. He's looking for your friends and he's looking for your neighbors, and he's looking for your family, and he's looking for your kids. And any way he can get a hand in there, a claw in there, he will get in there and he will absolutely devour it. He will destroy families. He, you can see it. He has attacked the families in this country. He's attacked the families in this world. And he knows it. He's, he's searching. He's just, you can just see him crouching, stalking. I mean, it, just to think about the terminology that Peter uses here, he is powerful. Satan is. He's smart. He's cunning. He's been at this a long time, and man's heart hasn't changed. He knows what gets us. He knows what tempts us. And he's, he's just, I mean, you can just picture, you ever watch a, a lion or, or some type of cat stalking up on something? And they will sit there. I remember having a cat when I was a kid. We had moles or gophers real bad in the yard. And they would sit there for hours watching that hole. Just watching, waiting for the perfect time. Waiting for when that mole stuck his head out of the hole just a little too far. And they would pounce. And they would have it. That is our adversary. He will wait. He will watch you. He will watch your family. And if he gets a chance to get in between you and your wife, you and your husband, you and your kids, you and your parents, he'll wait and he'll wait patiently. And then when the time comes, he'll pounce. That's why we need to be sober-minded. That's why we need to be serious. We need to be watching for that. Matthew twenty-four forty-two says, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day... Your Lord is coming. Be watchful for the return of Christ. That's part of worship. 
That's part of the gospel. The return of Christ is part of the gospel, that he is coming back. He has bought us with a price, and he will come back for his possession. And to be watchful for that, to be aware of that, is evangelistic as well. Right? Why do you live, I mean, to live our life in a way that looks to Christ returning will be evangelistic. You'll talk about it if you think about it. If you're really watching for it, you'll talk about it, and it will open up doors to tell people about Christ. So, we can't let our guard down, is basically what I'm saying. No more than a soldier on the field can relax. When a soldier is in war and he's out on the field, they never get to relax. They never get to goof off. And that's the way we are in this spiritual battle that we're in. We can never just let our guard down. We have to be on the watch constantly for the adversary for ways that he will creep in. Now we know if you belong to Christ, he can't take away your salvation, although he will try. But he will do everything he can to discourage you from doing the work of the Lord and honoring and praising him. And this pride and anxiety are two ways that he will do that. He will make you worry. He will put things in your life to make you worry, to make you anxious. And He will cause you to focus more on that than He will on Christ. And in so doing, He limits your ability to serve Christ. In so doing, He limits your ability to go proclaim the gospel. He limits your ability to worship. He discourages you. Now, we know He can't win. He cannot win. He's already defeated. But in your individual life, you must take victory over this, and that's through Christ. Cast your cares on Him. And then verse 9, resist Him. Firm in your faith. How do you become firm in your faith? You study the faith. You study the Scriptures. You test the Scriptures. You test the doctrines that come in according to the Scriptures, and also you live it. I've heard Ronnie preach it a bunch of times where David was discouraged. I won't go through the whole thing, but he was off. He was running for his life from Saul. And everybody, his whole group was turning against him. And it said David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And Ronnie's preached it. He says, I, I think that he, he probably thought of the time when he was out in the field and the lion came and took the sheep and he slayed the lion. He thought of the time when he was face to face with the best warrior ever on the planet at that time three times his size maybe four times and he one little stone he defeated him what did he do he looked back on the times when god had blessed him how do we stay firm in the faith how do we become firm in the faith we get out there on the battlefield and we let god work in our lives and then when it comes up we can look back to those times so we can look back to david we can look back to joshua we can look back to Paul. We can see all of those. And then we can also, the more you mature, the more times you can look back and say, you know what, I was down. I was in despair. And God pulled me out of that. 
There was this one time I didn't have any words to say, and this guy was arguing with me about whether God really existed, and the Holy Spirit just gave me the words. And I remember that time. Or there was this time when my finances, I, I didn't think I was going to be able to pay my bills, and I prayed, and, and God sent money just in time. Those things will make you even more firm in the faith, although they're not necessary, but they do strengthen it. But you have to trust in God to have those experiences. You have to be out there on the battlefield to have those times to look back to. So Peter's given us, he's given us an encouraging word, resist him firm in your faith. He also encourages us by letting us know that these persecutions are not isolated to them. He says, it is happening by your brotherhood all over the world. Experienced by Christians everywhere. You're not in this alone. Now remember what Peter was dealing with when he wrote this letter. If you think back to the early, when I was going through the background of Peter, it was during the time when Nero had burned Rome and the persecution was at an all-time high on Christians. They were being blamed for the city of Rome being burned. They were fighting against paganism in Rome anyway, and it was just it was terrible, terrible persecution. Nero was lighting, he would actually take their bodies, dip them in tar, and light them on fire for street lamps. It was during the time of the Colosseum when they were throwing them in there and being fed to the lions. People were being burned at the stake. It was a terrible persecution time. And he says, you're not in this alone. This is happening to brothers and sisters everywhere. And even, here's something else to think about. We are one body in Christ, right? When it is happening to our brothers and sisters in India right now, it's happening to us. When, when the persecutions are going on in these Islamic countries and people are having their heads cut off, that's no different than if that was my blood brother. I should have more compassion and I should have more prayer over that. But that's what Peter's saying. We're all in this together. We're all the bride of Christ. If they, if they persecute you, they're persecuting Jesus himself. And listen, he will not let that go. They will be punished for that. But look at verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. After you have suffered a little while, it's temporary. In the grand scheme of eternity, it is such a short period of time that you will suffer. Is it hard? Yes. I mean, we don't have any idea how hard it is to deal with what they were dealing with, although I don't know that it's not coming. But no matter what, even now in your flesh, you suffer. We suffer because of sickness that's a result of sin. 
We suffer because of pain, injuries as a result of sin. And then, I mean, to think of somebody on drugs or alcohol and the pain that it causes, it's all a result of sin. And then the persecution. But he's saying, after you have suffered, what, a little while. It's a short period of time. You can see the end. This is just, this is just a small little... Paul said, my life is like a vapor. It's nothing. And then what happens? After that little bit, the God of all grace... That's the God we serve. The one who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Just think about that for a second. If you're anxious about what's happening next week, if you're anxious about anything, think about in just a little while, just a short period of time, the God of all grace is going to come back. He is going to return. The mighty God. You're talking about the King of kings. The Lord of lords, he has called me? He's called me? He's called you? He's chosen you? Why? Why would he do that? Why would he choose me? Why would he call me? Because he wants to. Because he loves us. That's it. There's no other reason. It wasn't because of you were so good or I was so good. It's because He chose us for His glory. What a blessing. What, I mean, just how incredible is that? And He's called us, what? To His eternal glory in Christ. It really is forever. For eternity, we will live with Him and it will be perfect. And we will have perfect worship. And we won't fight this battle against sin anymore. And we won't fight this battle against anxiety anymore. And we won't have to worry about being proud anymore because we will be humbled before Christ and it will be perfect. And all we have is this little while. This little while to suffer. And what's he going to do? He's going to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So once again, at the proper time, he will exalt you. He'll exalt some, a little, during this life for those who demonstrate humility, but at the end, he will exalt each of us who are called in Christ. That's when you'll be exalted, and that's when you will be used as a testimony of his glory and his grace. He'll hold you up and he'll say, look here, here's Haddon. He's my trophy because I saved him. I turned him from a wretch into a beautiful Christian. And look, I've kept him. I've kept him through all of these times, through all of these trials. No matter what Satan threw at him, I kept him. And now look, now he's exalted. And he'll do that for each of us who are in Christ. How glorious, how glorious is that? The things that seem so important to us that we worry about so much will be gone and will bow to Him forever. Oh, Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And we'll finally, truly get it. We'll finally, truly understand that. And then the last part here, the last part of the chapter is, is His farewell address. He says, 
By Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love and peace to all of you who are in Christ. And Peter's just summing it up. Um, pretty incredible. Sylvanus was a brother in Christ who had traveled both with him and with Paul and evidently penned this letter. He was his, he served as his scribe to write the letter. I, I, I could teach more on this, but we're going to close it out. But I, I thought, I like to think of things. I like to try to put myself in that situation. How cool would that have been to be, be Sylvanus? I mean, we talk about finding different roles and Christ using you in different ways. And how many people were even involved with this that we don't know about? How many people served Peter that didn't get their name put in the Bible, but their name's written in heaven? What about the servant that washed Peter's feet when he came in from a journey? Or Paul. Paul did a lot of walking. And when he came in, somebody would have taken care of him and would have found pleasure and joy in doing that. Would you? If the Apostle Paul was to come into your house, well, what about anybody else that's a Christian brother or sister? Do you take the same joy in that? Would you take the same joy in helping somebody write a, write a paper for their college class as Sylvanus took to serve Peter? Would you? Should we? Should we help each other? Should we take joy in serving each other like that? And then he reaffirms the grace of God and encourages them, encourages them to stand firm in it. Advice that we need today. Encourage ourselves and, and listen to Peter. What is your struggle? What is your persecution? What is your trial? No matter what. It doesn't matter what it is. Stand firm in his grace. And he talks about the body of believers in Babylon and how they are also chosen by Christ. And then he talks about the kiss of love, which was a symbol of the brotherly love between Christians. And it's an interesting thing. Kissing during that time in history was a sign of friendship among Jews. But among Rome, it wasn't used as much. Although it was used, but it was illegal to, for men to kiss women in any kind of greeting unless they were related. And I think this is just reaffirming it was a sign of the family of God. Do we consider each other? I mean, I think when Peter was writing, I think, and you go back and you look at the book of Acts, Christians depended on one another so much, it was a big family. Do we look at each other that way? Because if we don't, we should. we should. We should think about that. Well, that's my brother. If it was my mother that needed help, would I find a way to go help him? If it was my, my dad that was, you know, in trouble or whatever, would I find a way to go help him? Well, it should be no different amongst the body of Christ.
And then he says, peace to you all who are in Christ Jesus. And that sums up the letter, that, that it sums it up so perfectly. All of these things are going wrong. All of these anxieties, all of these worries, all of this pride. But he says, listen, peace to you who are in Christ Jesus. Because if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no more peaceful place. I don't care how bad the storm looks outside. It's true peace to be found in him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this book uh, that Peter wrote, that you wrote and, and used Peter, that your Holy Spirit has given us. And I thank you for the opportunity that you've given me to go through it and, and teach it and study it and the things that you've taught me, Lord. I pray that some in this congregation have gotten as much out of it as I have. And Lord, I pray, God, that um, we would take all these things that we've learned and would apply them. I pray, God, that if, if persecution comes or when it comes, that you would equip us and that you would give us the scripture to meditate on. I pray for people who are struggling with anxiety, that you would just build them up, equip them with your scriptures to fight against that. God, I pray for those that are struggling with pride for the same thing, that you would give them the scriptures, give them the verses, lead them to prayer to fight against that. God, and as us, us as a body of believers, that we would do both of those things, that we would fight against anxiety and we would fight against pride and that we would exalt Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen.